Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Maximize Your Influence, your one-stop shop for the cutting-edge Jedi persuasion mind tricks that you all crave so badly and will use only for good. We're happy to have you here. I'm happy to have Kurt Mortensen with me on the podcast. As usual, Kurt, I don't know, riding shotgun, I guess? Am I in charge here? <laughs> uh, I don't know how that works, but I'll take shotgun. <laughs> okay, shotgun, you got it. At least I get to shoot at people or shoot something or shoot targets. But then that makes the show not politically correct. So now I've just blown it. <laughs> You're assuming the show was politically correct in the first place. That's aren't true. You? That's true. I think we've crossed that line long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking out to the car with uh, one of my friends the other day, and he goes, "Shotgun, no rock." And it's like, wow, it's been like 20 years since I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the no rock part. What part is that? It means you can't rock off. I mean, rock paper scissors. Oh, okay. So that's like no uh, touchbacks, what they call that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shotgun. So the other can say, no, no, we got to, you know, rock, paper, scissors for it. But apparently it was a an irrefutable decree if you said no rock. that I mean, this was not up for debate. You have shotgun. Is that kind of like a double dog dare that's just once it's said, it has to be done? Yeah. yeah like on gotcha. the Christmas story. Did you that's watch right. that? <laughs> you have to every year, every Christmas, you bet. Yeah, it's one of the best parts of it, the double dog dare. I mean. You're serious if you do a double dog dare. Cool. <laughs> everybody. Anyway. Anyways, everybody, I'm sure you're you're regretting your decision to listen today. Let, let Give us a shot to make it up to you. We've got a great article I want to talk about that is pretty entertaining, and it's from the Harvard Business Review. Once again, we are compensating for our lack of intelligence by citing the Harvard Business Review. And hoping that that will fool you, <laughs> okay? It will make us sound smart. It's yes, it will make us sound smart. But I'm sure that everybody listening has had the great displeasure at some time in your life of having to deal with, whether it's in a personal relationship or a work relationship, you've had to deal with a narcissist. You ever had to deal with one of those, Kurt? Too many times to count. They gravitate towards the business world, that's for sure. I think by their very nature, narcissists aren't going to be reclusive people. They're going to be out there and, and in your face. That's what they do. But just so that we clarify, if you're wondering, wait, I've never heard that, or I'm not really quite sure what that is. First of all, if you're able to admit that, you're not a narcissist. So let's read you the definition from the Mayo Clinic, and that will put the article into perspective by Harvard Business Review. Narcissistic Personality Disorder is a mental disorder in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance and a deep need for admiration. Those with narcissistic personality disorder believe that they are superior to others and have little regard for other people's feelings. But behind this mask of ultra-confidence lies a fragile self-esteem vulnerable to the slightest criticism. So, not super fun to deal with for obvious reasons. I mean... You have a tough time dealing with me, so I, I'm sure you can <laughs> you could attest to this. <laughs> so yeah, these are the type of people that rub you the wrong way real fast, and it's a whole other set of persuasion tools to deal with them. Yep. And so here's the fun thing, because I think you may have found that the funny thing about narcissists is when you first meet them, they're actually quite impressive. 
and they're very good at recruiting others and, and getting a following. The problem is, is the longer you get to know them, the more you're like, oh, this person's insane, right? I, I, was, <laughs> I was at first impressed, now they're just a psychopath. So, well, psychopath is actually a, a psychological definition, and we're talking about narcissism, so I shouldn't use it so freely. <laughs> so the article is great. It's called Why We Love Narcissists. And I'm actually going to make the argument to you listeners that you should be a little more narcissistic because the article makes the case that they have some good qualities. So try to have some of these good qualities, but not take it too far. So the number one reason is that narcissists are masterful impression managers, right? They can make a killer first impression. And so you've met people like that through your life that you walk away going, wow, that guy was great, right? And over time, it comes out that they're not so great. But they're masterful at at managing this. And the article talks about how they go through a lot of effort to manage their perception from other people. They want to manage that. Because like the Mayo Clinic definition said, beneath it all is a lot of insecurity. And that insecurity is feeding the constant need to manage their impression and what other people think of them. Sound right so far? Yeah, you're right on. They make that great first impression, and they're really great for a short-term sell or connecting with people before people realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe that first impression wasn't the real impression. Exactly right. And you want to hear number two? This is a good one, too. This, <laughs> I've seen some of them do this, like just pure artistry. and they're, It's instinct to them. Number two, narcissists manipulate credit and blame in their favor. And the article goes on to say that through a mix of shameless self-promotion and guilt-free Machiavellian agenda, narcissists are quick to take credit for others' achievements and blame colleagues and subordinates for their own failures. Well, that's your first red flag when you meet one. It's never their fault. There's someone to blame, someone to point the finger at. In fact, we can name a lot of politicians right here now, but I guess we won't. <laughs> I guess we won't, but I think both sides would concede the fact that to be in politics, don't you have to be a bit of a narcissist? Oh, man, the finger-pointing, they're so good at out the blame, somebody else, it's not their fault. And Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a prerequisite. <laughs> you got to check that box. Narcissistic? Yes. Okay, you can run. <laughs> well, I've seen this in multiple business and, and relationships and things like that. And wow, it's such a red flag. I've had to learn the hard way to look out for that. If, if you meet somebody that you just notice over a certain period of time, they, they're constantly managing that first pressure and putting on that front. And they never, ever apologize, even at all, at all for anything. Chances are you might be a narcissist or that person. I tried to do the Jeff Foxworthy redneck thing there, but it didn't really work. Okay, I'll give you two points. It kind of worked. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> two points. Not three. So yeah. here's, here's our, our third reason why we love narcissists. And the, the article obviously being a little facetious that we, we only love them for a little while. Narcissists fit conventional stereotypes of leadership. Because of their ability to accumulate power and influence, narcissists enjoy a prominent spot in lay people's views about leadership. The idea that leaders must be overconfident and charismatic and selfish in order to be effective, obviously that's not reality, but those characteristics can help narcissists like come out there and, and take the lead because most people are just looking for somebody to follow. And if somebody is aggressive and overconfident, 
I think a lot of people would gravitate to that at least initially. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I can see that with a lot of leaders. And a lot of the times they get to that point, they're like, oh, wait a minute. They're not a leader. They're a manager. They think they're leaders. And they think they're leaders because everybody they tell to do something, they do it. Not because they're a leader, because they're a manager. And they're probably scared to death if they don't do it, what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds a lot like narcissism, too. And it just continues to build momentum for the narcissistic personality because they get it does. people it, scared. It, it's and it's, yeah. worse and worse and worse. And that's the big difference between that short-term compliance that narcissistic people get versus that long-term influence that charismatic leaders have. Yep, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. And people will realize it eventually. But yeah, it's the, I think a lot of people have a low self-esteem. That's kind of the world that we live in. So uh, narcissism, they're, they're not going out of style anytime soon. They're unfortunately going to always be able to find the, their little army of lemmings that will follow them wherever they want. That's true. There's a lot of people looking for someone to follow because they don't want to lead, and, and that's okay, but sometimes they're following the wrong person. That is correct. That is correct. We're going to move on from that, and I will, first of all, if you didn't enjoy our segment on narcissism, I apologize. Wink, wink. <laughs> And we will go on to one of the laws of persuasion that we touched on briefly last week. And this one, I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but I'm going to say that it's old school and it's been around a long time. And that's the, the law of obligation slash reciprocity. Hadn't this thing been around forever, Kurt? It's been around forever. It's human nature one-on-one. -on -one. In fact, you could go to any culture anywhere in the world. I can go to the middle of the rainforest or deep, dark Africa and every culture, it's embedded that when somebody does something for you, you do it back. It's so important for us. It could be a smile. It could be a gesture. It could be a compliment. It could be a gift. It could be a variety of different things. But when others do something for us, we feel a need, a rush to return the favor. When we don't, we feel a little awkward, maybe even a little distance that we've talked about that we're not giving something back. Yeah, you do. And it's in every culture. I, I just remembered. Back in, it was like 2006, I took my wife on vacation to uh, Fiji, and it was great. I highly recommend it. If you ever get that chance, that's a great idea. And we did the little oh, thing. Wait a minute, it's not only a great idea, you probably got a lot of points too, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm still catching those in, <laughs> right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, you'll get points for Fiji. The problem is, now I have to one-up it on some anniversary in the future. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, it's going to be hard to do. you got to... You know, do Thailand or something like that. But Fiji was great. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth, and the people are so nice. Uh, but they do have their, their cutthroat widget salesmen in the <laughs> tourist districts like anywhere else does. And so <clears throat> this one day, my wife and I get in a taxi, and we were on the main island called Nandi is the city, Nandi Town as the locals refer to it. And so we go in and we're walking down the drag where they have all the cheesy third world trinkets that are the same everywhere, okay? <laughs> at, at least regionally, but... You haven't seen that t-shirt? Uh, different island, the same crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> the, the crap in Fiji is slightly different than the Caribbean, but if you go to the Caribbean or Mexico, it's, yeah, it's the same It's crap. all the same, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's bad. So we're going down the street, and this guy, you know, Fijian man, comes running up to us. Oh, hello, you are such a beautiful couple. Wow. Hey, would you like to come over to our hut? I have a necklace for you from the people of my village. <laughs> uh, you didn't see that red flag coming, did you? Oh, yeah, it was the best. So we go over there, and we sit down, and he has this all whole authentic experience. We sit Indian style in there, and 
he puts these necklaces on us, making us feel like, you know, we're from the island and starts showing us pictures of his village and all these adorable little kids, you know, and their, their little uh, lava lava things that they wear around that not like a skirt, but it's kind of like a, a wrap that goes around the waist. Then he says, and we would be very appreciative if you could make a donation to the children of our village. <laughs> mm, there it was. <laughs> there it was. And I'm like, oh, you come, you act all nice, you put this necklace on me, and you want me to donate to the children. You know? <laughs> I wonder what percentage of the money makes it to the children. <laughs> well, that happened to be the first time in Jamaica where I got off and someone would help me with my luggage. I'm like, oh, the people here are so nice. <clears throat> yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we see that too with people in the airports handing out different cards to uh, accepting donations. It's all about the reciprocity. And it's one of those laws that can quickly backfire on you. It's one of those laws that people have manipulated for a long time. I mean, we all get phone calls from certain friends and family like, oh, how's it going? How you doing? Remember when I helped you out? You know something's coming. And the key here is to be genuine and altruistic. And it could be a variety of things. It could be a gift. It could be some of your time to listen to how their weekend was, a favor, a compliment. There are so many different ways you can do it. Even a free sample at Costco is a sense of reciprocity. And the studies are really interesting with samples that when you offer a sample, 70% will take the sample, and 37% of that 70% will purchase the product. Now, the key factor here is when you give somebody a gift or something, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to persuade and influence them right there. All it does is put you on the top of the list. Maybe they're going to listen to you. Maybe they're going to try it out. Maybe they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. If you were a real estate agent and gave everyone a free CD on the 10 things they need to know to, before they purchase a home, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be their agent, but it does put you on the top of the list. And that is the key factor here. Whether it's time, again, a favor, a compliment, a smile, any of those things are important. Just think about when somebody says, Hey, you look great today, or that's a beautiful dress. Guess what's coming back? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's another compliment, and we're, we're wired that way. One of my favorite studies, and you've heard me talk about this, is a university professor addressing Christmas cards to people he did not know. Addresses out of the white pages, sending Christmas cards to people he did not know, and guess what comes back? Christmas cards. <laughs> and I'm giving a seminar back east. This person raises his hand and says, Hey, that's my brother. That was 20 years ago. And he's still getting Christmas cards from people he does not know. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of it. That's how we are. Whether it, you're negotiating a car deal and the salesperson says, Hey, I want to get a soda. Do you want one too? And so that 50 cent can of soda gives you the urge to buy a $20,000, $30,000 car. It happens all over the place. Now, a couple things you have to realize here is that it depends on the relationship between a giver and recipient. For those out there with teenagers know that you give and give and give and you don't get anything back. So we're going <laughs> to set that aside for a second. Yeah, yeah. And here's what really interesting. When I did the, the second edition of Maximum Influence that came out with reciprocity as I was looking for additional studies is that it does just as much for the giver as it does the receiver, number one. And if you don't let somebody reciprocate, it has a negative effect on the relationship. Meaning, if someone keeps taking you out to lunch, out to lunch, out to lunch, and they never let you repay that sense of debt or that sense of obligation, it actually damages the relationship and makes persuasion and influence more difficult. Mm, mm, that's pretty interesting. So 
I wonder how you would apply that in like a sales situation. Is there a time when, you know, you're, you're prospecting for new people, right? And, and, and obviously you don't have some kind of a personal relationship with these people. That's not the dynamic. It's new prospecting. So is there a time when reciprocity on that front end to kind of start a relationship off is not effective? Well, if you're going into a negotiation and right before you start, you gave them a gift of money <laughs> uh, yeah. or, or any type of gift and it's obvious what you're doing, yeah, that's going to backfire you. But when you're genuine, you're altruistic, you're not expecting anything in return and it comes across that way, no, it could even be something from specialty advertising. I mean, that's a billion-dollar industry where you give someone a pen. I mean, you've been to the trade shows before where you get a pen or a screwdriver or a cup. Even those little things tend to put you on the top of the list. And again, it's, it's how it comes across. If it's obvious, like a timeshare presentation, you know why they're giving you something, then rest, it's not reciprocity that's working in that situation. It just got you there. Yeah. And so you have to realize how you're coming across. Just look, just do it. You're doing it for the right reasons. It's putting you on the top of the list. That's very, very important. So it doesn't come across as manipulation. It's perceived as an unselfish act. Those are critical when you talk about reciprocity. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little behind the times, but I finally have got around to uh, watching the, the TV series The Sopranos. And <laughs> there's a guy who, uh, Tony Soprano, the mobster, comes up to him and he says, Hey, you want to you wanna have these two cruise tickets? You want to go take your wife down to the Caribbean, eh? And he's like, yeah, he's all excited. And he goes and tells his wife, and she's all, don't you take those cruise tickets from Tony Soprano. Do you know what that means? <laughs> he's obligating him for something really bad. <laughs> That's so true. We've seen a backfire even in politics, in pharmaceuticals with doctors where they're giving away way too much. But it can be even a simple thing like a free tire rotation. It could be a free carpet in your house, one room. It could be, well, I think the best example is the men's warehouse. They're actually looking to put in free dry cleaning for the life of your suit. You're like, well, why would anybody do that? Well, because this is what they've tested. When you buy a suit at the men's warehouse, you get free pressing for life. They'll press your suit anytime, anywhere. So you take your suit in, and you'll have to come back the next day and get it. And when you come back the next day and hand them your ticket, I don't know what they're doing when they go in the back room. I think they're having a smoke or something, but they're going to take their sweet time. Mm -hmm. And there's two laws of persuasion here. There's a law of reciprocity because now the men's warehouse is on top of your list. And the law of involvement, you're in the store. You're looking around. Of course, where else are you going to go? And it's the little things that you see the free pizza or the free waters or, or just anything they can do to get you in the door. That's the foot in the door. There's some involvement there. But also... It puts you on the top of the list. Why would I go anywhere else? He's, I'm in the store. I trust him. I'm there anyway. There's involvement. There's reciprocity. And it goes a long way. Mm. And it makes a huge difference in the ability to persuade and influence. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is the same thing, but I live right next to Cabela's, which if you don't know what Cabela's is, everybody, it's a, a large outdoor retailer for hunting and fishing and, and camping and all that stuff. And if you've been to Cabela's, you know, they have a, a gigantic fish tank there, as well as tons of animals from Africa that are stuffed and everything. And my kids love to go. And I think Cabela's is like, hey, we're going to give everybody this cool experience to get and see this stuff. But guess what? Every time we go to the, the free exhibit, <laughs> we come home because you got to wander back through the store. And there's always some imaginary thing that I think that I need, and I end up buying it. <laughs> And again, that's a combination of reciprocity, a combination of involvement, getting you in the store. What can you do to get yourself higher on the list? And that's a big, 
big thing. And you're not just giving a gift you found in your garage or that you don't like. You have to ask, is this useful to your prospect? Do they need it, want it? Will they enjoy it? Does it have a high perceived value? Those are some things you need to ask yourself. You're just not pulling these gifts out of the wall. And it doesn't have to be a gift. Remember I talked about it. It's time, maybe spending 30 minutes to help out a coworker and you might need something later on, a compliment. All these things come into play when you're talking about reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Now, I, I seem to remember having read in your book when we were uh, talking about the foot in the door technique a couple episodes ago where you, you get initial commitment up front. And in that chapter about the foot in the door technique, you were saying that the first time you get a request from somebody, it's less powerful if you use what's called an external incentive, which I took to mean as a fancy way of saying a bribe. If the, you're using the law of obligation to get somebody to make their very first commitment of you uh, to you in that kind of chain of commitments leading up to the sale, that's not as powerful. That's what I took it to mean. Am I correct or incorrect? When the prospect knows what you're doing, that you're giving them something, like I mentioned the timeshare presentation, they have to use other forms of persuasion because reciprocity is, not, is out the door. They know that you're bribing them to come. So that gift, that helicopter trip, that whatever it is, fill in the blank, that got you there. There's no reciprocity there at all because you know why they did it. Mm-hmm. And that has the opposite effect. So they have to use other forms of persuasion to get you to say yes. So they, they're kind of starting on the negative five-yard line there. Whereas, and I, I think it works well, but it, if they wanted to have a higher conversion rate, it might mean fewer prospects, but it would be get them to commit, get them to make some kind of a sacrifice for the first commitment, and then bring in the obligation after that. It would probably uh, make them stick a little bit better, wouldn't it? It would. But I'd say 20-yard penalty because you have reputation, you have trust issues, you have the bribe to get you there. So that's an industry that's enjoyed some <laughs> low trust with a lot of people just because of how some people have done it the wrong way. Yeah, I think many episodes back we talked about the, the timeshare salesman at the Hilton in Las Vegas that was a, a complete disaster that I went and saw. Oh, I could tell you many stories about timeshare. So we, <laughs> yeah, but they're making it work, right? Some people are falling into that trap. Yeah, I go see them because, yeah, that, the way they hook you, super cheesy, you know, high dairy content on that stuff. Just, <laughs> it's horrible. But, I got to admit, later on in the presentation, those guys are pretty slick. Oh, they're well-trained. They've got it down, so if they can keep you there, they have a high close rate. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll probably get some, some hate mail for this, but I think you know everybody could learn a lot by going to some of those and, and watching the latter stages of the presentation, especially how they create value and how they really pump up and contrast the value of their product. I mean, you go out of there thinking that you just got a million dollars for free a lot of times. The contrast and, of course, the way they use scarcity is brilliant. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They, they build up the value of so many bonuses and you only get this thing today. And, and they do something that you said to me for a long time. You said to me forever, Steve, the client needs to want to buy just because of the bonuses. When you throw in the bonuses and they want to buy just because of that, now you know you've created a buying frenzy You've created a terrific offer, whether it's through your, your sales copy, your pitch, your webinar, your literature. And, and the timeshare guys are just amazing at that because I've, I've noticed that before. I'm like, holy cow, if, if I just bought that, that's worth the money alone for the bonuses. 
Yeah, I agree. They have it all set up to where you're getting more than what you're paying just for the bonuses. And hey, the timeshare is just, hey, that's that's added value. <laughs> yeah, they have you thinking that's the bonus. That's the gravy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're pretty good. But by our urge to do so, they are not uh, the ninja for the day. We've got one of those in a minute. You want to go to the ninja or you have any more to add to contrast? Well, one last thing to add to, well, we talked about contrast, but the reciprocity. And I think I've mentioned it before is the big old long word of reciprocal concessions, which is used in negotiation. And that's part of reciprocity. This basically means when someone persuades you to change your mind, they'll be more inclined to do the same. In a negotiation, we've seen that when you say, oh, that's a good point, let me write that down. Okay, well, let me give you that concession. Let me do this. When you let someone in a negotiation or even a teenager persuade you on a few minor points you don't care about, that opens them up for you to persuade them. Because if you resist and they resist and you resist and they resist, there's no concessions, there's no reciprocity, and that negotiation's going nowhere. Mm -hmm. So when you hit that brick wall, let somebody persuade you on a few minor points you don't care about. Let them know that was a good idea. Let them know that you've changed your mind on a few of those things that, again, you don't care about. Now they're more primed for persuasion when you need it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Understandable. Well, good. Let's move on then, Kurt, to our persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't! There's Homer Simpson incoming. Incoming. We know the blunder's coming. <laughs> it's coming. And I apologize in advance, too, if anybody can hear that noise. I'm, I'm recording this at my hotel near the uh, San Diego airport, and a giant jet plane just flew over, and it's kind of noisy. <laughs> <laughs> and also that means that the internet connection is not ideal, so we might have a few clips here, but... Yeah, we've got Homer Simpson incoming. I had just been up in Irvine, California for a couple of days at an annual convention that I do for the real estate business that I'm a part of. And because I have an ongoing relationship with these people, I will not name names. I will use initials uh, because I have just, an ongoing just relationship. Just use social security numbers. That'll be okay. Okay, yeah. Social security number 57423. <laughs> yeah. Here's a little bit of background so everybody can understand because I'm going to parlay this into a persuasion ninja. There was a ninja amongst the, the Homer Simpsons, and he, you know, carved them up ninja style. So, oh, and and there's ahead. the ninja sound. There it is. There it is. So <laughs> We got Homer and the ninja all in one. Do tell. Yeah, our high-tech audio engineer puts that stuff in there. <laughs> and, and we do not at all sound like a couple of low-budget radio jocks running out of, like, uh, some podunk town in Mississippi, do we? Not at all, not at all. <laughs> well, anyways, so what we've got here is a, a crowd of about 70 real estate investors who are relatively sophisticated. Many of these people are engineers and uh, have high educations. They work in Silicon Valley and in New York City. And, and they, you know, they like to see numbers. They like to understand things. They don't go for hype. And the conventional wisdom would be, okay, you have to have a very analytically based presentation. Well, where Homer comes in is that there were seven different real estate suppliers who wanted to sell their real estate to this group of people, and they all had a chance to speak to them. And six of the seven suppliers gave long presentations jam-packed with charts, graphs, and facts. That's okay for this crowd, but it was completely emotionless. Their vocal tone was down. It was monotone. There was no push to generate any kind of emotion. And I think at first glance, people would say, well, that's okay. It's an analytical crowd. That's what you got to do. Well, 
that's what you'd think. But then we have the seventh presenter come up who also had plenty of analytically driven data, but he opened his presentation with a joke. And it was a good joke. Got everybody to laugh, right? Right out of the gut, really, really good laughter. And he, he monitored, monitored his body language and his vocal tone throughout his presentation. He gave facts and then he used stories to support those facts. Then he'd come in with another joke. And he did this and he did his presentation and everybody was on the edge of their seats. The body language in the crowd was vastly different. And so wouldn't you know it, Kurt, our ninja completely outsold by himself the other six property suppliers due to his ability to bring in the logical yet emotional presentation to that logical group. And I think that that's important because you, you said, I like the way you say this, we're not uh, thinkers that feel, we're feelers that think. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. And that's a huge blunder because a lot of people, as you know, they persuade how they like to be persuaded. So if you're logical and you're dealing with an emotional audience, it's very different. We think, oh, well, they're, they're highly educated. I have to use logic. And you do, but everyone's emotional. And we have to get to that first brain, the amygdala, that subconscious mind, whatever you want to call it. Everything's filtered through that. And that's where that knee-jerk reaction happens. And there's a couple things in play here. You have touching the logical mind and the emotional heart. Plus, when you use humor and you're real, there's a connection there. So probably what happened is not only did he touch them emotionally and logically, they liked him better because they made him laugh. There was a connection. And we do business with people we like. And humor has a big function in persuasion. No matter how analytical you may be, right? It does not matter. I've done workshops for internal auditors, and they still laugh. And they're very analytical, but they have an emotional side. They want to laugh. They want a connection. You can't just do one or the other. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll tie in the analogy. But, you know, this was a real estate workshop. And as you know, uh, success in investing in real estate many times depends on the concept of leverage, right? Using using financing to really jack up your purchasing power and you accomplish so much more so much quickly. And using emotion in your persuasion process is leverage. The, the logic has to be there. There has to be substance to what you're doing. And with some crowds, obviously more substance than others. But when you when you bring in that emotion and you can get the person, they don't even necessarily have to laugh, Kurt. They have to feel. They have to you, know, you catch them nodding their head. Their pupils dilating, that body language opening up and coming towards you, indicating that you have hit the right buttons. You have used the leverage and you flipped that emotional switch. And so now when you can use logic, all you're doing, it's like quick dry cement on that leverage, right? Because it, emotion can wear off. It uh, leaves the brain, those chemicals leave. But man, when you can bring in those facts after it, then it really does cement that, that leverage, that, that emotion, if you will. And there's the airplane. <laughs> is it that obvious? <laughs> yeah, I heard the airplane that time. And so what the airplane is, let's use the airplane as an example. The emotions get the airplane off the ground, get it floating, but it's the logic that's going to get it to land. Or in other words, we buy, we're persuaded, we're influenced by emotion but when that emotion's gone when that plane has landed we have to have logic to explain to ourselves and others why it was a good decision right yeah sure emotion and force gets it off the ground but uh, you know delicate physics and slowing things down and and a very logical and the right speed on approach to land it is what gets it down so that's a very good analogy on the fly might i add there we go two and a half points for me
Two and a half. You're ahead. I only got two points from earlier. There we go. I'm ahead by half a point. All right. To be continued next week. So now, more importantly, Kurt, uh, we we watched yesterday uh, Peyton Manning completely dismantle the New England Patriots. And the Seahawks make a comeback, and that receiver Richard Sherman uh, instantly be either loved or hated by all of America. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who you do know, you like in the did, Super Bowl? When he did that, <laughs> before I answer, he did that, I told him my chill. I said, look, he just lost any endorsements he could have got mm-hmm. just by that one statement. And he's lost a lot of the fans. I mean, it was a heat of the moment. It was highly emotional. We all know that. But that one thing – any endorsements he could have got are done. And uh, and it's funny how it, they were reading it later and different things, why it happened. But as far as my pick, I am going to go with Manning and the Broncos for Super Bowl. What is the number anyway? I don't know. Four, what is the number for the Super Bowl? I, I don't know. I don't know. But Super it's, Bowl 122, we'll call it. How's Super that? Bowl 122. <laughs> if, if Manning's in Super Bowl 122, then – He's like a cyborg or something. There we go. They'll have robots playing because everyone's so concerned about injuries. There'll just be robots playing anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, by 122. <laughs> yeah, it's just too concerned about concussions. Well, I like Manning as well. I think that it's he is a, a quarterback of destiny this year, and he's carving people up. It will be tough. It's not going to be a blowout or you know a, a big victory. But, uh, man, he's, he's playing really well. And, I think the yeah. experience that that team has, the – is going to make the big difference between uh, the Seahawks and their. They have a lot of great rookies, a lot of young players, a lot of great talent, but I think it's going to go to experience. And plus, we get to watch him sit back there and go, Omaha, Omaha. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Trying to throw the other team off. Yep, love, exactly. It's I great. Love hearing that. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. And he had a press conference. He, uh, a reporter asked him, and Peyton gave this really straight faced answer uh, about. <laughs> And it was complete bull crap, for lack of a better term. It was like, well, well the reality is yeah. it's probably different for every game. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I think he needs to start releasing more mid-tier cities throughout the Midwest and just really throwing people off. Des Moines, 42, Des Moines! <laughs> so now that we've completely digressed and gone off the rails, we should probably wrap it up. Kurt, anything else you want to add in closing? The main thing to realize is we wrap up with reciprocity, and we talked about how in one situation there was a ninja and there were plenty of blunders. But with reciprocity, it's all about how you do it. doesn't guarantee they're going to do business with you, but it does put you higher on the list, and that is your goal. Even if it's spending 10 minutes with somebody, helping with a project, listening about somebody's weekend, those little things go a long way for long-term influence. There you go, everybody. Send your comments, your questions, your derogatory remarks, your show ideas, your horoscopes your predictions for the end of the world, whatever you want to maximize your influence at gmail.com. That's maximize your influence at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and we will see you next week on another episode. Thanks a lot. See you next week.